Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May in this service be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. I lay this service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 5 verses 45 and 48 so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect the sermon that I would like to continue is called called to perfection we know that this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time and this commandment is dressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. If they were given such a long time to acknowledge the correct actions of God, which He had sent in His messengers, and if they still have not understand it, we know that we know for certain that for God to show His perfection in the command in commanding His Son to rise over the bad and the good and send His reign on the righteous and unrighteous means to act within the boundaries of the word previously uttered by Him in which he shows his favor to the righteous and his anger towards the unrighteous. For God shines with his sun and pours out his rains in the boundaries of his spoken word. He submits himself to his word. He is a servant of his word. And therefore, his sun shines specifically in the boundaries of his word. 
Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds. We're talking about the saints of God who are clouds filled with water. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of this whole earth. He causes it to come whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Job 37, 11-13. You see, this was known um, by people in ancient times before that God does not have tolerant love and His sun doesn't shine the same and His rain doesn't pour out the same on everyone. And to me, it's very interesting when people continue to affirm this. They say, look, um, look at what's happening in the news from the sun. Forests burn. Take a look at what's happening in America. And last year, we even had to, from the smoke, um, to evacuate. Look what happened in California. Houses of million, millionaires were burning like matchsticks. What, does God bless with the sun in this way? If you think with, if He shines with the sun, this is a blessing. No, He blesses some. But the majority, He pours out His rain on and His anger. Oh, and his scorching anger. Some he gives rain in due time, and others he sends his floods, and mankind can't do anything with this. Although before it was very rare, but now it's every year, and it's increasing with great, um, with great might and force. So in this allegory, under the image of the clouds of God, carried by the wind of the Holy Spirit, which are hallowed unto Him, since they are filled with His water and fulfill the purposes of God, one should consider the warriors of prayer, who are in confrontation with the waterless clouds carried by the unclean wind. This is Apostle Paul and Apostle Jude had said that these are waterless clouds carried by the unclean wind behind which stand people who have the mark of the beast on their foreheads, whom God hates. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalms chapter 11, verses 5-7. through seven. What's interesting is that in the original, his, uh, if he sees the countenance, means that he loves, he favors the face of the righteous, and the face of the righteous gives him rest. He can look upon it eternally. He, he places his sight on it. And therefore, the perfection of God, which will place itself dependent, would made himself dependent on his word, which is imprinted in the temple of the body of the warriors of prayer. Because we're talking about how God has magnified his word in his temple, and his temple is us. Therefore, this consists in the fact that the rain that God sheds on the wicked is poured out of the lips of the warriors of prayer. Again, the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, and the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Psalms chapter 37, verses 28 through 29. Proceeding from this, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect means to love the righteous as God loves them and to hate the unrighteous as God hates them, pouring out blessings on the righteous from our lips and anger on the unrighteous. And wicked 
who were wicked are those who were previously saints. This isn't regarding the the people of this world. We're talking about those who were in the church, had despised it, and had legalized sin. In connection with the fulfillment of the commandment to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the word spoken by him, we stopped at the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of man. Specifically, what specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts called to pursue? And in particular, on the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that we could receive justification again, because Christ, by the law, with the law, died to the law, and we, in His death, died to the law with the law, so that we could receive justification in new tablets of testimony and resurrection, in order to live, not for ourselves, but for the one who died and rose, and therefore, in doing so, receiving. The right, the receive the affirmation of our salvation, the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as He had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We've noted that the righteousness of faith in our heart, making us heirs of the peace of God, is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the gospel words spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. Not emotions, but we submit to the information that comes from the lips of God in the words of the messengers of God. Emotions can say one thing, circumstances can say something completely different. But we, at this moment, we submit. We simply submit ourselves to these words, and in doing so, we express our love toward God. He says, if you love me, follow my commandments and keep them. Therefore, the inheritance through righteousness of faith, and this is called righteousness when we submit our faith to the faith of God and the word of the messengers of God, the covenant of peace presented in their inheritance of peace is called to abide and serve as evidence in the heart of a person that he is the child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace that abides in the covenant of peace are in fact the riches of our hope in God that contain all the promises of God that yield the purpose of righteousness or the goals of righteousness. So, in order to realize the promise, this is God's goal for us. 
because only through the righteousness of faith can we realize waiting in patience for the fulfillment of the promise, having accepted it in a seed and growing it into a fruit, and waiting for when God will give the harvest to this fruit. Thus it is the righteousness through the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to keep our hearts and our thoughts in Jesus Christ. It's very important for our thoughts to be in Christ Jesus. Because oftentimes our thoughts are found in, in ourselves or in the desires of this life or in the calm economic of this world or in the culture of this world and in the interests of this world and so forth. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7. When we, with thanksgiving, open our desires during moments of crisis, and we thank God that we perhaps don't have, well, for what we perhaps don't have in our in our pockets, but what we have on our accounts in Christ Jesus, and then this gives God the right to keep our thoughts in Christ Jesus, and it gives Him the basis to begin to bless us from those storehouses or those treasuries that he has. The widow, uh, the widow from Scripture is an image of the Church of Christ. The widow from Sidon where Elijah was sent. How come not one of the widows to any of the other widows, they did not represent the Church of Christ because they did not have righteousness of faith. But this widow he went to had righteousness of faith. She obeyed the words of the prophet Elijah. And God had showed in her His Church, how God feeds His Church from the small amount of oil and flour that did not diminish. And they lived among hunger and famine that destroyed the world. People in this time, they had boiled their children to eat them. They had no more animals to eat. They ate waste and they ate one another at this time. But the church at this time was blissful, was in a blissful state. God is going to fulfill for the warriors of prayer that which He had spoken. He is vigilant over His word. And if we have accepted this word and we are vigilant over it and we thank Him for it, the peace of God in the format of the fruit of righteousness that can keep our thoughts in Christ Jesus are the thoughts of our mind that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. In these words are presented the seal of God and the seal of the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. The seal of God are things that we think of of above, and the mark of the beast are those things that we, uh, earthly things that we think about. When we care about things of this earth, things like health, gifts of the Holy Spirit, blessings, in the new heaven and the new earth, we won't need healing because we are going to be in our new bodies and there will be no illnesses, no cries or tears. But here it is. And when we place as a priority as knowledge of God, 
then God begins to care for our healing. From this passage, it also follows that people who refuse the conditions to submit their faith to the faith of God, in submission to which the preached word and power of the Holy Spirit is called to renew their thinking with the spirit of their mind, has nothing in relation to the peace of God. And consequently, they have no relation to the sons of peace, who through the peace of God inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We must understand that through the cooperation of our hearts with our spirit and our thoughts that are found in Christ Jesus, we are called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ, or rather into a pearl. With regard to this, we have stopped to study the fourth question. According to what signs should we test ourselves to see if we are the sons of peace and the sons of God? Because according to the reign of the peace of God in our heart, which dwells and is called to dwell in our spirit in the fruit of peace, this is the fruit. This isn't just we have made it, we must grow it. We have made a covenant with God in the seed of the word, and now we must take the seed and grow it into a fruit. Only by this fruit can we define in ourselves if we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. And with this, we always place a focus that if a person has not died to his nation, his household, and his corrupt desires, then the justification that he accepted in salvation through faith in Christ Jesus will never be transformed into the quality of righteousness in which he would be able to bring fruit of peace. Therefore, for these kinds of people, their crown of righteousness will be taken, which gave them the right to the inheritance of people in which they could be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelation 3.11 The crown of righteousness. Righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, fruit of peace. This we must hold on to. And in order to hold on to it, we need to continually look upon the root out of which we were, which we grew this fruit. The promise of peace gains its powers and legitimacy only through righteousness of faith in the covenant of peace, which places a responsibility on both sides of the law in which each of the sides of the covenant are responsible for the fulfillment of their role established by God in the statutes contained in the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides violates the agreement made in the covenant of peace between God and man, and this violation can only occur from man's position, then the second position in the face of God is freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the property of the peace of God in the heart of a person testifies that this person is a peacemaker or the son of peace, which serves for God as a foundation to endow us with the virtue of the name of His Son, so that we could share with Him the fulfillment of all that is written of Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. 
In a certain format, we have already studied six signs according to which we can judge and define that we are the sons of peace and therefore sons of God. And we have stopped to study the seventh sign. The seventh sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We're talking about the love of God, agape, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. You see, we are called to this peace in one body, in Christ Jesus. So when we have fellowship with one another, and when we uh, stoop down to the lack of one another. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If we are clothed into the holy or the selective love of God, and it abides in our hearts, how do we clothe ourselves into the selective love of God? Through the proclamation of the faith of the heart. doesn't matter what you feel. You proclaim information and not emotions. Emotions can speak of the contrary. They can uh, eat. You take and you fulfill the information. You, fu- you fulfill the information that you hear. What, you, what do you do in this way? You clothe yourselves into the selective love of God because you proclaim, and when you proclaim, you will lead, you will follow your words because our words lead us. The thoughts that are expressed in words control us, they lead us. We already know that our lips is our, our wheel, and therefore we must understand so that no vile word can come out of our lips, but only good for edification and faith. Many words, many words that do not carry edification to one another, we must withhold until the flesh dies and stops producing them. To achieve the holy or selective love of God that is called to fill us with the full peace of God and make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, so that we can shine with our sun on the just and on the unjust and pour out our rain on the just and unjust according to the law of God. I will remind you, God's selective love is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly dignities and properties through the preached word of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. This is written in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. I will remind you that each individual virtue and the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. Second, these virtues, of these these seven virtues in our heart, are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. We can't have more of one virtue and less of another. This is one fruit that has seven properties. Therefore, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and through Christ Jesus. Four, these virtues are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with to inherit the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. You see, 
what must be our riches, our character, the fruit of the Spirit. Fifth, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the power of the Holy Spirit so that He can become the Lord and ruler of our life. Six, the means we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is our faith, the obedience of our faith to the faith of God and the lips of the messengers of God. Seven, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. This is taken from the words of Apostle Peter. Therefore, the love of God is the basis and atmosphere of the moral law that unveils the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses to understand it. Thanks to its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates legal rights and relationships with those people whom it selects, and it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. It's waiting. It's knocking on the cedar door. When we have clothed ourselves in righteousness, our door becomes cedar, and then he knocks in the cedar on the cedar door. He doesn't open it. We must open it through the proclamation of the faith of the heart. And it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. In a certain format, out of the seven virtues, which as a whole define in our heart the goodness of God, we have already looked at six virtues or six properties, and we've stopped at the seventh. This is to demonstrate in our brotherly love the love of God, agape. And therefore, in Holy Scripture, the level of the power of the selective love of God, which flows from brotherly love and discovers itself in brotherly love, is defined as the level of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Evil expressing itself in men and hatred, coming from the envy and pride of man and good that expresses itself in men in love that flows from brotherly love, are programs. Love can proceed only from the action of brotherly love. If it isn't demonstrating anything, it cannot be love. If it is incapable of uh, stooping down to our brother, to forgiving him, then it cannot be from um, cannot be called brotherly love. This is a program that must be placed into a programmable device, meaning our hearts. And therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is possible only in its carriers, which are their programmable device. As written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. With regard to this, just like in the previous virtues of God which are necessary to demonstrate in our faith in seven components, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. 
What does scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue discovering itself in the heart of a person in the love of God, agape, which proceeds from the brotherly love that we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose is the love of God, agape, that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? What condition is necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue in the love of God, agape, which flows from brotherly love? And by what sides do we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God, agape, which flows out of brotherly love? In a certain format, we have already studied the first question and have stopped to study the second question. What purpose is the love of God agape that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? The first sign has already been the subject of our study, therefore we will turn to the second sign. The calling of God's love coming from the atmosphere of brotherly love is directed so that we could be sanctified and become organized partakers of the church. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Pay attention here. Not the world as a whole did he love, but his church. And when Apostle John writes, God has loved the world, this is an um, an incorrect translation. God had loved his in this world those believers in this world so that whoever believes in this world shall not perish but have eternal life. But the world is condemned by God and that same apostle writes, do not love the world and all that is in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is from the Father, is not from the Father. God does not love the world. He loves those who are His and He sent His Son to deliver His own from the captivity of sin. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So he gave himself up to sanctify her and wash her by the word. It turns out that the washing of water is the word of God, that whom he has entrusted to his disciples, saying, As my Father sent you, so I send you. To whom you forgive the sins, they will be forgiven. On whom you leave them, on them they will be left. Go and preach the preached word through all of cre- to all of creation. Make disciples from the peoples. Therefore, from this statement, it follows that without the love of God acting in brotherly love or within the boundaries of the law of grace, There can be no sanctification by the word. Just as a body without a spirit is dead, so a word that comes out without the presence of the spirit of love does not revive the dead to life, but kills the living. The letter kills as it is written, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. The letter of the law. The law destroys, it gives power to sin, and sin kills us. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, the Word of God. This is the letter and the Spirit. In the first uh, tablets of testimony, this was the letter, because we with the law and the body of Christ died to the law. 
and the Spirit lives. And if we have died, then we are going to reign in resurrection. 2 Corinthians 3.6 Secondly, God does not sanctify a single person outside of the organized partaking of this person to the body of His Son, whom He called His church. Thirdly, sanctification that does not pursue the goal of dedication to God in fulfilling our calling expressed in the adoption of our body to the redemption of Christ is delusion. If people are sanctified in order to do some kind of miracles and evangelize, in order to have success in this life and material well-being, this is a sign of the end times. We are sanctified so that we can dedicate ourselves to God and fulfill the goal that God has placed for us, fulfilling our calling expressed in the adoption of our bodies through the redemption of Christ. And this will occur through the fruit of our spirit. We must clothe ourselves into the fruit of resurrection, to the fruit of righteousness, to grow in our heart the tree of life that brings its fruit 12 times a year in each month. Furthermore, third, but before I read this or I answer this question, I want to also say, as we know, sanctification is comprised of separating ourselves from our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt desires of our soul, which is called to occur upon the cooperation of our cross with the cross of Christ. And a third component of the calling of God's love coming from the atmosphere of brotherly love is directed to us growing in salvation that was achieved for us on the cross of Golgotha. We were given salvation as a seed and we must in the salvation grow it in this tree of life because tree of life is ourselves. We must become this tree of life that brings us fruit. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. First Peter chapter 2 Verse 2, imagine, if a person does not grow in salvation, what will happen? He's going to lose it. The scripture says that, yes, I have written your name in the book of life, but I can also erase it and blot it out. If you do not keep my word, if you do not abide in my covenant, I will blot it out of the book of life. I will throw you away from my lips and I will move your lamp from its place. It follows from this instruction that only through love for the verbal milk of the grace of God and for those through whom we receive this verbal milk can we grow in the salvation that Jesus Christ has acquired for us. I will remind you what salvation is, why we need to grow in it. Because some think that you've accepted it and that's it. We are already saved. The character isn't transformed, and he says, I'm saved. Yes, by faith I can say that I am saved, considering that I hate my character and I, with the law, die to the law in order to be delivered from my character, to be delivered from the dependence on my nationality, to be delivered from the dependence on the house of my father. What does it mean when we are delivered from the dependence on our nation? Before this, I will say, when we are dependent on our nation and the house of our Father, and when we are free from it, they become dependent on us. Now, we become over them. We stand over them. It's not 
now us dependent on them, but the house of our Father is dependent on us. It's not our corrupt nature that we are dependent on any longer, but it's our nature, our carnal nature is now dependent on us. We take all of this in our control and we begin to bless our nationality the house of our Father, under the condition that the house of our Father is not dead to God. The world cannot be dead to God. Uh, parents that are not Christians cannot be dead to God. They don't exist. Dead can only be those who were first alive and then they died. If our parents st stood in the truth and then they despised it, or when the truth was open to them, they did not accept it, then Jesus said, allow the dead to bury the dead, and you follow after me. And therefore, what is salvation? Salvation is help sent in the words of grace for deliverance from sin and death, behind which stands our people, the house of our Father, and our carnal life. Furthermore, salvation is the help sent in the words of grace for preservation in salvation and for the safety from the organized forces of darkness that stand behind our old man. The old man himself can't do anything with us, who lives in us and whom we have inherited from the vain life of our fathers, but behind him stands the powers of darkness, of hell, that have this power, thanks to which the letter gave them this power. The law, the law of Moses gave them this power. The law, the law gives power to sin and it discovers sin and gives power. Furthermore, salvation is the help sent in words of grace for gaining well-being, healing from sin, prosperity in God, and happiness in the Holy Spirit. When we talk about healing in Scripture, oftentimes we're referring to healing from sin and not from not about the healing of our body. I remind you, those who love Scripture know that all of the apostles were sick. None of them did not live their life without an illness. All of them were subjected to some kind of illness, and many had died from their illnesses, just as the prophets of God. Very rarely did someone not die in illness. This doesn't mean that those who died not in illness, just like uh, Jacob, that there's a difference between them. There is no difference. Just some God Allah gave them to die in their illness and they glorified God in their illness. They did not submit to it. They stand. They stood over it. Dying from illness, they were independent of it. They were independent. They were dependent on God. And in this death, they had glorified God. That's why we can't think that if people die from illness that they're dying because of sin. No, it just came their opportunity to to glorify God through their death and their illness. Furthermore, salvation is the help sent in the words of grace for the growth and building up of oneself in the love of God. And he himself gave some to me apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Because we begin to, be, uh, to bind ourselves to the Church of God when we come to the full measure of the stature of, of Christ. We cannot be bound to the Church of Christ while we are infants, while we are carnal. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, for whom, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes for the causes growth of the body and for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4, 11-16. So when do we bind ourselves in love? When we use every member. And if we... D- do not communicate with everyone, then we cannot serve for one another with that gift that we have received in the grace of God. To grow in salvation means by faith to master the territory of our incorruptible inheritance in Christ Jesus that belongs to us but is in the hands of reigning sin. Furthermore, to grow in salvation means by faith to master our inheritance in Christ Jesus that is expressed in our calling which consists of the, in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ giving God the foundation to erect in our body the power of life and the dignity of the kingdom of heaven. The salvation of God is the magnificent and unique fate, unique fate of every person who comes to God. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord, Proverbs 29:26. This doesn't mean that for every person God has a faith. This is talking about for his person, for every person coming to God. This person must not search for the ruler's favor, because his fate is not from the face of the ruler, but from the Lord. It is very beneficial for the devil to impose on man the idea that illness, poverty, and premature death are man's fate from the Lord. But this is an undisguised lie. Such a fate has nothing to do with growth and salvation, which is designed to cover all areas of our lives with the blessed gifts of heaven in the abyss of the valley. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James 1.17 You see, God does not have in heaven any illnesses. He does not have any poverty. He is rich. And He is healthy. And from Him come only good gifts and only perfect gifts. Therefore, never say, the Lord had sent illness upon me. God gave me illness. God doesn't give illness. They come to us through the sinful life of our fathers, through viruses, all all kinds of virus and so forth. Fourth, the calling of God's love proceeding from an atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of casting out of our heart all forms of negative fear. There is no fear in love, but the perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18 We have noted on numerous occasions that love as well as fear is knowledge in the format of information that comes from either correct relations with God or incorrect ones that define the atmosphere of rest as well as the atmosphere of torment. Therefore, fear as a type of a certain kind of information gives rise to a certain type of faith since the faith of the heart comes either from the information of hearing the word of God or from information listening to the word of God from another source. 
The fear of the Lord is determined by the source of knowledge and wisdom emanating from the Word of God, producing trembling reverence in a person to listening to the preached Word and unimaginable delight and security in God. And human fear that produces torment is not just an emotion, it is essentially that which we believe in. And this kind of fear is defined as the lack of knowledge of the will of God, which in our hearts is the atmosphere of brotherly love, in which the love of God is poured into our hearts, trampling death in our bodies and affirming life. Therefore, emotion or feelings are the result of either certain information or, on the contrary, the absence of any information that generates all kinds of phobias of fear. Negative fear is a condition where we cannot get help from our mind because it is not renewed. And when the mind is not renewed, there comes fear. You cannot receive help from your mind. Because information about the essence of God, which is absent in our mind, is captivated by our feelings and encourages our mind to follow our feelings. The fear of the Lord, which represents in our heart information about the wisdom of God, is a state where feelings are completely dependent on the mind renewed by our spirit, which our feelings follow without hesitation among all kinds of famines, illnesses, and so forth. The fear of the Lord arises from the information of the words of grace poured out into the love of God in the atmosphere of brotherly love in which we gain knowledge of our fate in God. Specifically, who God is for us, what God has done for us, and who we are to God in Christ Jesus. And it frees us from all kinds of negative fear and the torment that is involved in it. Only the fullness of this kind of knowledge, again, is called to free us from all kinds of negative fear. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8, verses 32. To be freed from the fear that is involved, the torment. If we make ourselves the bearers of information emanating from the fear of the Lord, then its power will oust and expel information from our hearts about negative and painful fear, which deprives us of the opportunity to inherit the promises of eternal life. But for this, what must be done? We must stop turning to different kinds of sources, especially mass media information, the media. You know, when I look at them, I can easily see control and I separate. If you don't have this kind of ability, then don't do this. Because having listened to all this, some people try to then teach me on the foundation of the information they heard, either from the internet or somewhere else, forgetting that I live according to heavenly information. You don't need to teach me. You be disciples. Don't try to teach me. And don't try to penetrate closer to me. When people try to penetrate closer to me, I understand this. I can feel it, and I don't allow them to come close. Especially during isolation, I do not let people, certain people close to me to communicate with them. Some of them came. They tried to, and they thought that I would invite them in. Why did it? I didn't invite them in. And I and my spirit was was in turmoil. Well, you know that 
what we're going through today. We are by the brooks of Cherith. Why don't you want to be found there? But they came to teach me. And then they were offended that I didn't accept them in. The fifth component, the calling of God's love proceeding from an atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of us being filled with the fullness of God. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And He does this through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. We're not talking about uh, emotional love, we're talking about the action of love. So, if I see my brother that he does not have something to wear, and I say, I love you, I am lying to myself. If I have uh, a few suits and he doesn't, I should share with him, with my suits and my dress shirt so I can show my love. If he doesn't have enough food, I should share with him. So, in this way, I will demonstrate love. If I see his lack, I must stoop down to it. And I should not say, you must forgive me. We must ask for forgiveness. One person called me not long ago. I want this person saying to me, I want this person to ask for forgiveness. I tried to explain to him, and he doesn't understand me. He didn't want to stoop down to his level. I said, okay, I will ask this person to ask for forgiveness before you, and he will. Although he didn't sin against you, and he didn't mean anything ill with this action. He didn't want to sin with this action. He was offended that upon being greeted, that he hugged his wife. Well, forgive me, sometimes we even kiss um, when being greeted. Just right now, we are being greeted. I, I think that he's going to walk I don't think he will do this again. The fullness of God, which we are referring to, is a combination of God's perfect qualities, which in the format of the truth accepted by us through instruction and faith, fills the contents of the vessel of our heart and makes us partakers of His divine nature. The fullness of God is the filling of the vessel of our heart with the peace of God, making us sons of peace which we grew in the Eden of our heart. The fullness of God is the unearthly ability to be led by the Holy Spirit upon the fulfillment of our calling. This is what the fullness of God is. Our calling is the holiness of justice which is designed to destroy the power of death in our body so that in its place the power of life could be built. Oftentimes, people try to do something outside of their body instead of trying to do it in the body. Christ said, why are you worried about someone else? Where are you running? You'll save the whole world, but you'll lose your soul. What benefit is it to man in that case? God wanted us to focus on ourselves. As soon as we can come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, then we become a light. And then this same light begins to attract others. We don't even need to go to them. They are going to look at you and they are going to want to be just like you. You are going to become to them a standard, an example, light, the sun. But you don't become the sun when you go to them having while being darkness. 
The fullness of God is the unearthly ability upon being, upon filling our calling to be led by the Holy Spirit and not our carnal mind or our feelings. Furthermore, the fullness of God is the spread and expansion of our inherited portion contained in our title and our election and our calling and our election. What is a calling and what is an election that opens entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Our calling, our title is comprised of partaking to the divine essence through knowledge of the one who called us with glory and honor by obeying the words of God in which our faith obeys the faith of God in the lips of the messengers of God. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. Psalms 119, verse 57. This is our calling. So that we can understand our calling in, in partaking to God's essence, to be in the likeness of God, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Whereas our election is comprised of adding to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. This is what our election is. The fullness of God in our heart is the fulfillment of the word of God in which our hearts believed and our lips proclaimed, calling the non-existent as existent. So whenever you do this, then you must say, that you have the fullness of God dwelling in you because you consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. Not what you feel, but what you know, that which you proclaim. This is the fullness of God. However, in this passage, being filled with the fullness of God is possible under the fulfillment of three conditions. First, as we had read above, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Second, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can be rooted and grounded in love. And third, to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It is a sequence in which the combination of these truths that determine the perfection of God's love agape emanating from the atmosphere of brotherly love is called to give us the ability to be filled with all the fullness of God. The phrase that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man means that without cooperation with the sovereign phrase let it be let it be on the lips of a man clothed in the authority of the fatherhood of God none of the three truths can ever become the property of our heart called to fill us with all the fullness of God to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect considering that the ability to be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man comes from the riches of God contained in His glory we will need to define the glory of God that allows us to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man is a transformation from the glory of the Lord into a new way of life. To be transformed into a new way of life is to change into a state opposite to the previous state or to pass from one quality to another.
And the first condition that Scripture offers in order to be transformed from the old way of life into a new way of life is to make a voluntary decision to look at the glory of the Lord, but with the eyes of the heart. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. However, to behold the glory of the Lord, it will be necessary to give it the definition that Scripture gives it. Otherwise, we will choose the lust of our former way of life as a subject of our eyes, believing that this is in fact the glory of the Lord. People say when we are materially independent, when we have prosperity in authoritative places, when we jump on the roof of some kind of ruler and take them out of there just as false charismatics do. Who knows who's walking along the roof in those churches? You may need to be sent to an institution. So in Hebrew, the glory of the Lord is conveyed in two words. This is kavod and shekinah. And in Greek, this is this word means doxa, which means honor, strength, dignity, and power. However, the word shekinah in Hebrew, among other things, means the weight or heaviness associated with the responsibility to represent the existing honor, glory, dignity, and power of a new life. In Scripture, we find evidence of the source from which the glory of the Lord proceeds. This is where the glory of the God proceeds from. It comes from the direct presence of God, from the Word of God coming from His mouth, in the mouth of His messengers. It comes from the influence of the Holy Spirit, and He acts through His Word in us. From the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about from um, big gifts. It says, zeal for the big gifts, and I will show you the ways. The big gifts we know are apostles, evangelists, pastors, prophets, and teachers. It comes from the power of God's creation and from all His works. When we look upon heaven, on earth, and all that God has done, the glory of the Lord comes from the offering of the fruit of our spirit, the fruit that we grow out of the seed of the word of truth is the glory of the Lord and the glory of God comes from our fruit that is offered by us to God. The glory of the Lord comes from enduring reproach for the truth. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. 1 Peter 4.14 However, in order to see the glory of a new way of life that gives us the ability to be strengthened with might in the Holy Spirit and the inner man, we should look at it with an unveiled face through a certain mirror. For example, the Word of God says that the heavens preach the glory of God and that the firmament speaks of the work of His hands, and also that the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. 
these kind of places, there are many of them. However, billions of people, both believers and unbelievers, looking both at heaven and at all of the other creation of God, as well as seeing the manifestation of supernatural powers manifested in the miracles and signs of the Holy Spirit, are remain blind and are not able to see in this the glory of God, called to transform man into the image of God. So they look at all of these things, and this does not clothe them into glory. So, what then is meant by an unveiled face? Because we must look at it with an unveiled face, and then this glory will... And you see, you know from experience that many people go with a, come walk with a sullen face, not seeing the glory of God in the moon and the stars. They don't see the glory of God in the clouds, in the sunrises and sunsets. They don't see it in the mountains, valleys, oceans, rivers. They don't see this glory of the Lord. They don't see the glory of the Lord when someone is healed. And when they themselves are healed, they won't see this. And when they and when Christ is taken to death, they will yell, crucify him, although he healed them. Very many people have received blessings through my service and through my and through healing. Almost all of these people had crucified me or rather left me. You see, this was not the glory of the Lord for them because they looked at it with an unveiled face. They could not see it. Excuse me, they looked at it with a veiled face. They could not see it. So what do we mean by an unveiled face? And what should we view as the mirror through which we can see the glory of the Lord in order to be transformed into a new way of life? According to Scripture, a person who is likened to the image of God partaking to His divine essence is the glory of God. And when we have when we have partaking to divine essence by inheriting these promises, I will show you, and an unveiled face is a state of our good heart in the seven properties of our spirit that affirm our calling and election in Christ Jesus and make us partakers to God's essence. These are virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. I knew some people who had always said, and I was still a child, they would say to me, if you don't have this ladder, then we're not going to go. And they always preach this as like the ladder of Peter. They never had it in the first place. Their state, their character, and their heart never coincided to these properties. They thought that they had it without having it. Because for them, their main thing was looking at their own feats, what they had done, how they did it. They never looked at the root, the unshakable root from which they grew. They always looked at that which they do, and they themselves appraised them in this way. The mirror in which we, with an unveiled face, can see the glory of God in us and be transformed into this glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, is the written Word of God that comes from the lips of God. The format of the written Word and the format of the preached Word. So when these three formats, we must read continually, study scripture, we must listen to the word of God, we must understand that the written word is also a format of the glory. And when these three formats combine into one and they are found in our heart, 
this is a mirror. And when a person in the likeness of God will behold the glory of God in the mirror of the Word of God and the works of God created by this Word, just as David had said, he always looked upon it. He had known that he had the remembrance of the works of God in his heart. Having the remembrance of the works of God in our heart, you become a mirror in which you can look into. And this person in this mirror will see what? He will see his reflection. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. That Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as a commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Thus, Amir. Our mirror must be our new essence and not simply a person. Yes, we must look upon people, people of God, who are standards and examples for us. It's interesting is that a lot of people don't understand this. When they look at another person, you see what they see? you know what they see? They see in him their reflection. A person doesn't have this, but he sees it in him. He thinks that this person is just like him. If he is this way, then he is that way. And he begins to uh, attribute him his vices. The president of the Russian Federation um, came to this level when he called him a killer. He, he said, you know, every person sees in another person his own vices. And when he looks at another person, he comes from this. But a person can't be in this way. He is just like I am. And therefore, he attributes to him his vices. And when he said this, my spouse said, how can he know this? Many saints don't even know this. For the wicked, they attribute their vices to the righteous. And they spread slander against them. And people believe them. Why? Because they look at them. They have an uncleansed heart. If he has an if he has a cleaned cleansed heart, then upon a cleansed heart, when I look at a person, what do I what do I be able to do? I will be able to define where good and where evil is. I can see that this person is an infant, he is carnal, and that he needs to be stooped down to, or he is a wicked and lawless. He must not be communicated with. But in order to look at the mirror, I must look inside of myself. What dwells in me? What, what are my thoughts about if my thoughts are about things of this earth my heart if my heart if my thoughts are on heavenly things and when i act according to this when i meditate on the lord in this time i am transformed from glory to glory this is what it means to look in the mirror to meditate on things that are heavenly a mirror in which moses looked upon with an unveiled face and from which his face began to shine with the glory of the lord was the word of god that came from the lips of god if a sinner had been given the opportunity to look into this mirror then he would have seen then he, and he would have seen the glory of god in him and this glory would have transformed him 
would not have transformed him, but killed him. And such moments quite often occurred in the past and occur in the present. But since many of those who have come to God are not able to see the glory of God, they are not able to see how and whom it kills and whom it transforms into the image of God. When rebellion arose among the people of Israel against Moses, who represented the interests of a new life, and therefore the glory of the Lord, God, through His glory, which Moses represented, immediately stood up for Moses and killed his enemies. Let us recall that when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, abides in us, we are responsible to represent and protect His glory. We represent His glory when He dwells in us. We are slandered, we are reproached. That reproach that falls on Him falls on me, but we represent the glory of God. I repeat, the blind, blind do not see it. But when we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to place us in Christ, then He has the opportunity to defend our interests through His glory. And so, the glory of the Lord that our unveiled face represents is the Word of God abiding in our hearts, accepted by us through instruction and faith. And the mirror in which we see the reflection of this glory in the truth of the words of God, which is the truth of the words of God which we look upon. When we look in this mirror, it reflects a true essence expressed in the spirit of our mind, which is called the mind of Christ in our spirit. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, says Apostle Paul. Summing up the definition of the essence of the glory of the Lord in our inner man, it follows that our inner man, looking upon the glory of the Lord and the dignity of the anointing truths of the reigning teaching of Christ, becomes in our spirit firm or unshakable in his trust in God. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Amen. We have an opportunity right now to come to God. We are going to pray right now. We'll bow, bend our knees, bow our heads, and we'll pray. Whoever is filled with fear, illnesses, sin, and wants to have the fullness of God, Open your hearts for the Word of God. Step away from your feelings. Begin to be based on the information that you hear. Accept it and say, Lord, let it be to me according to your Word. All of that my heart has heard today, I accept. And you live, my soul lives. I will keep this. I will meditate upon it and I will proclaim it. The Lord is mighty to restore his relationship with you that has been affected by your sin. Amen. Let us pray. The Holy Spirit is in this place in order to help restore you in relation with God.
I will pray with your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you, He is not against you. He desires, He strongly desires to restore a relationship with you through your decision to leave sin and confess it. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want you to raise your hands to heaven. This is a sign that your hands are without sin and doubt. Your eyes close an element of a secret room. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. My heart is wounded by sin, which I despise, from which I suffer. I want to be delivered from the lust of the soul. I am tired of this suffering. I despise the sin. I despise corruption of my soul. I immerse myself into your death in order to be delivered from this sin. I confess it before your countenance. I open my heart. I accept your word. I accept your Holy Spirit. I accept your justification. I thank you for that which you are my God and I am your child. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am justified, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you and not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains fall upon you. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants. It may be fulfilled upon you. And may the people say, Amen. Blessed is God and Father who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with that word which we have been able to hear today. And may He give us, according to His grace, allow it to be rooted in this Word, to endure this fullness, and may He make us affirmed and immovable in our faith, prepared in order to have the power of life erected in our bodies and our bodies clothed in the pearl of the resurrection of Christ. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to god our savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen